All right, Rad Dads, and we're back with another episode. I'm Rob. And I'm Sal. And it is our 50th episode. Yes. What? Five zero. The big five oh. 50, 50 episodes. I can't believe we've been doing this for a year. Yes. That's crazy. To celebrate, we have a special guest with us tonight. Adam Edwards, brand ambassador from Rabbit Hole. Adam, welcome to the show. Rob, Sal, what's going on, you all? What's going on, man? Great to have you on the show. So we have this beautiful bottle, which may be one of our first YouTube drops. I'm still trying to figure out what's our first YouTube drop. That is absolutely amazing. It's high gold from Rabbit Hole. It's a relatively new release, correct? Yeah. Um, it is 95 proof, 47.5 alcohol by volume. First of all, I think the bottle does a lot of talking and I do a lot of talking, but the best way to kind of start is to drink it, right? That's the best way to always start. And I, and I always say this to people, you know, you can tell a lot, you know, by somebody by asking them, I don't know what they do for a living or what their hobbies are, what their favorite color is, all that stuff. They don't, you don't really know somebody until you had that first drink with them. So cheers. Cheers. Cheers <laughs> to 50 episodes and to rabbit hole. That's amazing. 50 episodes. What a, that's a, that's a great accomplishment. That's a nice milestone. That's a good milestone. It's a good way to celebrate too. It's a bourbon, yeah, right? Definitely. <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, so high gold Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Um, you know, we're a distillery in Louisville, Kentucky. We're down in downtown Louisville. It's where I am right now. I'm actually just like right across the street from the distillery in my office. Um, this is what you call a high rye bourbon. Uh, so we added this to our lineup about a year and a half ago. So it's the newest addition to our core lineup. Um, this is 70% corn, 25% malted rye, and 5% malted barley. I don't know why I said that. Like I was unsure of that. I knew that like by heart, but in case I didn't, it's on the label too. You can read it on the label. So it's, it's good. Um, but yeah, so high rye bourbon, there is no like legal definition for high rye, by the way. It's just usually like it's got more rye in it than normal. So, you know, 25% is kind of right on the edge of where people really start to call it high rye. Um, the rye itself comes from Canada and it's malted. So it takes a little bit of the spice off of it and kind of ups the sweetness. Um, but this still has some pretty good, good spice back here in what we call the Kentucky hug right here in the chest. That's how you know it's working. You can yeah. feel it right there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there, is, there is a slight burn. Uh, I'm going to have to agree. Can you tell us how did they come up with the uh, high gold name? Is that am I pronouncing yeah. it correct? High gold. High gold, absolutely. It's, it's it's exactly how you pronounce it. So high gold's named after a man. It's named after a man. Uh, so high gold is uh, he was a he was an immigrant. His name was Christian. Christian High Gold, and uh, he moved to the city of Louisville. Uh, it was like eighteen fifty something, eighteen fifty two, and uh, he was a stonemason. And so when he moved to Louisville, there was a party in Louisville that was like in control of the paper, you know, kind of biggest social circle party. They were uh, called the Know-Nothings and the Know-Nothings were very anti-immigrant. And so Christian who came from Germany, right? So he was an immigrant. Uh, he started building things in Louisville. He built, uh, he carved out the original steps of the Jefferson Street Courthouse. Um, he just, you know, became a well-known figure in Louisville and slowly started to change the conversation in Louisville. And in fact, a lot of people from Louisville, us Louisvillians, we kind of look at the moment that um, Christian got here as sort of the watershed moment for Louisville, where it went from being very, you know, stay away to come on everybody, like very inclusive. Um, Louisville kind of became a microcosm of what was to be known as, you know, the U.S. idea of a melting pot, right? And so now you look at Louisville and it's this great kind of amalgamation of cultures from food and and, 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 you know, spirits and, um, you know, art and music. So Christian played just a huge part in Louisville history. Um, our owner, Cave, who likes to say there's not a lot of guys named Cave running around Kentucky making bourbon. It's obviously an immigrant name too. Uh, he moved to the U.S. when he was, I think, like 14 years old. His family was from Iran and they moved in 1979 to the U.S., and when he came to Louisville later in life, he really started learning about bourbon, learning about the history of Louisville. He discovered that story of Christian and he stumbled upon this house. So it's a monument now. And it's just this stone facade um, about a mile and a half from me. 
and it's Christian's house and it's just the front of it still stands and it's still standing since like 1850 something. Wow. And there's, yeah, the guy was a master in his craft and it wasn't just the structural integrity, the beauty of this piece, it's called High Gold House, obviously. Uh, it's, it's a great name. And so there's these scenes, it's American scenes on there. And it's like George Washington, scenes of George Washington and James Buchanan's bust is on there. And so Christian, even though he was an immigrant, obviously sort of embraced the American ideal. And Kaveh, I think he really resonated with that idea and that story. So he wanted to name a bottle after Christian. And he sort of kept it going a little bit through the process because that rye that's in here, it's, I said it was Canadian earlier. That's wrong. Completely wrong. I don't know why I said that. German this rye. is my first time. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's German rye. It's actually German rye. And so that's because, you know, Christian was from Germany. So I always thought that was like a cool sort of tie-in to the label too. That's awesome. And on the side label, it says uh, Kelvin Cooperage. Yeah, Coop Kelvin Cooperage. Who's that? So Kelvin Cooperage is the people that make our barrels. And, you know, when you really start talking about bourbon, you start talking about flavors of bourbon, everybody always starts the same place. They start with the grains. And the grains are very, very important. You know, what the mashville is made up of is going to kind of direct how you make that bourbon, how you age that bourbon. But what is responsible for, and you hear figures from everything from 60 to 90% of the flavor of bourbon, but, you know, 100% of the color are the barrels. And so if you think of it like a chef, you know, the better ingredients you use, the better meal that you're going to serve. It's the same thing with bourbon. So we're really looking for high quality barrels. Kelvin Cooperage, they're amazing. We believe in them so much. Like you said, it's on the label. We even put their seal on our label. That's how big of an influence they are for our flavor profile, right? The barrels that they produce, they are uh, toasted and charred. So not just charred barrels to be bourbon, one of those regulations, right? It's got to be a charred barrel, but they toast them first and they do so over an oak fire. They don't use gas flame like every other cooperage out there. So it's a lengthier process, but if we think of it, again, I talk a lot about food because, you know, uh, so if you think about this in terms of like food, like cooking, if you are a griller, you know, you got a grill, listen, I've got a, a smoker at home its main heat source is coming from a propane tank because if I'm smoking like a Boston butt for 12 hours, I need a pretty even temperature all the way through. Propane is the way to go. But if I'm grilling, I'm using my charcoal grill. I'm, I'm not using my, my propane. I'm not using a propane grill. I'm using a charcoal grill because I think it creates better flavor. It's the same thing for the barrels. So that's why we put Kelvin Cooperage on the side of that label. It just makes sense to shout them out. So does... Does the barrel play a huge role in the flavors or the flavors are added? I see one of the notes on the website is butterscotch flavors. Uh, I think it says added later. Yeah. I'm not sure what that copy means. So yeah, in, the barrel is definitely adding those flavors. Infusing flavors of butterscotch and baking yeah. spices. Yeah. So the barrel is important for those flavors. Okay. So first of all, specifically, and I love it when people bring up butterscotch because I'm, I'm about to blow your mind. When you taste butterscotch and something with alcohol in it, what you're actually tasting is caramel and vanilla at the same time. You add an alcohol, it brings those two together, and that's how you taste butterscotch. It's like it's almost like rum butter, you know what I mean? So that's that's why it's like butterscotch is such a huge flavor you find in a lot of bourbons. The reason that is there, so that charred and toasted barrel, when you start toasting and charring the inside of that barrel, the oak has a lot of sugar in it. Of course, what does sugar do? When you start charring and toasting it, it caramelizes. So you're actually getting caramel flavors from that oak. Vanillin is what you call a lignin. So vanillin, there's all sorts of lignins that, that live inside oak. Um, and when you start toasting and charring those barrels, you start to pull some of those lignins out and they start to creep up towards the inside of those stays. So as this whiskey ages in that, that barrel and becomes bourbon, it's kind of passing in and out of those charred and toasted uh, layers of the barrel. And so there's, you know, if we could get like super technical about barrels, there's something like 16 different processes that are happening in a barrel, like wow. while it's aging. But the big ones are things like filtration, oxygenation, um, addition of flavors, uh, concentration. Those are the really big ones, right? And the concentration and the filtration are huge. 
So we we were, you know, before we kind of press record here, we were, we were talking about weather. And so you honestly, Kentucky is not too far off from from you know the northeast kind of areas where you're from in terms of of weather, right? You got really cold winters and you've got pretty hot summers, right? For us, it's maybe a, a little bit more like really hot summers and pretty cold winters, just you know, just about the same. And so you're saying like up there right now, it's like 95 degrees. Swelter. And then like, yeah. And like two days from now, it's going to be 60. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Does, guys, it does that crap in, in Kentucky all the time too, right? So it'll be 100 degrees and then it'll be like 30 the next day. It actually snowed, you know, I, I, when was that? It was like three months ago. I don't know, not even that, like two it months was, ago. It was late in the season. I, I yeah. guess I remember. I think you all got it too, yeah. And it was like, it was it was seriously, it was like 88 degrees the day before. And then the next day I'm at the distillery and I'm, you know, I've got a couple people there. I'm taking around on a little private tour and we're tasting. And he looks out the window and he goes, well, holy crap, it's snowing. And I was like, there's no way. And I turned around and I was like, oh, it's snowing. That is really, really good for bourbon. That is great for bourbon. So the hotter that it gets, right, the like looser that wood, the softer the wood is going to be. And the more the, t- uh, the, uh, the pressure is going to get inside that barrel, so the higher the pressure is going to get, right? So what that's going to do is all that liquid in the barrel, it's going to get pushed into the oak stays. So then, you know, just like it did that, that weekend, a couple of days later, it drops whatever, 45 degrees, and the wood hardens up, right? And the pressure in that barrel drops, and it sucks all that that whiskey out of the barrels again into the center of the barrel and so that happens mm-hmm. over the lifespan of the aging of that barrel so the more times it's passing in and out of that charred and toasted layer the more flavor and the more color that it's getting it's also concentrating because you're losing water and alcohol here and there in different different amounts right so there's some really amazing things that happen inside that barrel to produce all of those flavors so you just hit on one thing that always blows my mind is that how can you taste something that is so obvious regardless of your experience tasting spirits or wine or beer or toothpaste or whatever it is you want to taste and you smell this bourbon or you taste it and you're like wow butterscotch you know or vanilla or green apple or whatever and you smell it you taste it and there's no green apples in there there's no butterscotch in there it's just because of whatever the grains or the yeast or the barrels doing their thing during fermentation, during distillation, during aging, those chemical processes, the, just the natural things that happen to create those flavors. That's why I'm so passionate about it. It blows my mind. It's 100% of the barrel. There's nothing added to the, because I've, I've made wine before and I don't make wine in, in barrels because, you know, doing it home, it's a little tedious, make sure, making sure that you clean the barrels. And if the barrel's not clean, you know, you, you, your wine's done. Yeah. All that money's down the drain. So I use, I use uh, glass uh, Demi Johns and decanters. Um, mm-hmm. But I have, I get oak sticks. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'll, I'll sit them in the, in the wine for a few months and it draws the, the flavor of that oak. And it's amazing. So that's yeah. what I thought, you know, when it says infused flavors, I thought maybe something is added to the bourbon. No. So, you know, those qualifications of bourbon, uh, bourbon is the most highly regulated spirit in the world. It really is in terms of how you can make it and call it bourbon. Right. And so to be bourbon, first of all, it's going to be made in the United States. Um, Fun fact, that includes our territories. So you could make bourbon in San Juan. It would be terrible, I would imagine, because the climate (laughs) would be awful. (laughs) It's just hot, hot, hot all the time. It doesn't ever get cold in San Juan. Um, it's got to be at least 51% corn and what we call the mash bill or the grain bill, just the, the grain ingredients. 51% of that has to be corn. Um, it's got to be aged in virgin charred oak vessels is the actual language. So one run, you can't use the barrel again, right? Um, it's got to be charred. It's got to be oak. It could be any oak. It just has to be oak. Um, and then they always love that, that language, by the way. It says vessel. We all use barrels because, you know, they roll easier. They're easier to move around. But, I mean, if you wanted to age in a charred virgin oak box, I guess you could. Or <laughs> like a trapezoid or something. I mean, whatever, you know. it's I can't imagine that would do much difference. But it's, you know, it's not going to expand the same way either. 
Um, and then the other things about that, it can't have added flavors or colorings. Um, you know, some whiskeys in the world can, and it's not a bad thing for those whiskeys, like, like uh, scotch, you can use caramel coloring. Now it is a very specific, you can't just use whatever coloring you want. Like it's an incredibly specific caramel coloring. And the reason it's that specific, it adds no odor, no flavor at all. It's literally just for the color because they have such a different climate over there. It's always just cold, doesn't get super hot. It doesn't move in and out of the barrels as much. And so even if it's like eight, 10 years old, it won't be sometimes an attractive color. And so they'll add a little caramel coloring to it to, to make it look a little more attractive. Um, and then, I mean, I think Canada is like a free for all. You can add like whatever you want to it, as long as it's not gonna hurt anybody. And, and you know, it's Canadian whiskey. But for bourbon, you can't add anything for flavoring and you can't add anything for coloring at all. It must be all natural processes. Everything must come from the grains, the yeast, the water that you're using, the still that you're using, distill it down, and the barrels. That's about it. That's about it. But how do you keep it consistent then? Oh, man, that's well, that's the question, isn't it? So million dollar question. It is. Well, no, I mean, maybe, maybe like 250,000. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can really get, pardon the pun, you can get really down the rabbit hole on this one. So blending in American whiskey generally has been sort of this, it's not even a dirty word. It's just kind of like a, a word a lot of people don't use. And the reason is, is because blending, like blended scotch is a very specific thing. Um, it's where they take scotch, you know, whiskey from different distilleries and they kind of blend it together and it's sold as blended whiskey. It's a whole kind of category there. It's one of the, the best selling categories of whiskey in the world is, is scotch blended whiskey, right? So in America, we do blend. We do blend to create consistency, right? So, you know, if you ever get a bottle of bourbon or whiskey at all in the United States, it's been blended together, not from other distilleries, but from that distillery in different barrels, right? Unless it says single barrel. And if it says single barrel, it's just one single barrel, obviously. Um, now, you won't hear American distilleries. We don't mind saying it because I mean, it's just, you know, it is what it is. We, a lot of times you don't hear American distilleries use that word. They'll use words like mingled or batched or, you know, playfully rubbed together or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? There, there's all sorts of like thing, ways they kind of get around it. Um, and I mean, we don't really, you know, say it on our packaging or anything, but yeah, we're blending things together. Um, we really like to focus on keeping that number down as much as possible so we can really focus on the flavor of each barrel and how it contributes to the overall batch. So that's when you start getting into terms like small batch. Now, unlike single barrel, small batch has no legal definition whatsoever. It does not. The only thing that what you call the TTB, which is um, basically the agency that oversees labeling for, for um, spirits, they, you know, their big thing is like, can't be misleading. The label cannot be misleading. And so small batch can mean a million different things to a million different producers. You know, you've got distillery A over here that makes a million barrels a year. Well, small batch to them might be whatever, 2,700 barrels, right? Whereas you have, you know, a distillery B over here that's making 25 barrels a year. Small batch is going to be like two barrels to them, right? <laughs> but I mean, you know what I mean? So it, it kind of changes. For us, we kind of split the line. So we make a lot of bourbon. I mean, we make... We make a lot of bourbon, guys. We last year we did twenty one. What is it? About twenty one thousand barrels. So that's about one point wow. five million proof gallons. That's a lot. And considering that our distillery is only fifty five thousand square feet, that means we made more bourbon last year per square foot than any distillery in the country. So we produce quite a bit here. Amazing. That being said, our batches never go over fifteen barrels ever. So per bottling run, we dump these barrels. We send them to our processing and bottling tanks, and then I mean, which is like the room above it, and then it goes over and it drops down in the room next to it, and that's the bottling line. And then we bottle those 15 barrels. To determine which 15 barrels we're putting in there, it's it's a really complicated process. You gotta taste them. <laughs> that's <laughs> really what it is. You gotta taste them. And so I mean that guy's job's just horrible. Oh, man, you know what's great? You're looking at the guy. So it's not just me. It's not just me, obviously. So first of all, Kaveh, our founder and owner, who is just this 
unbelievable person. He's like a little bit of a mad scientist. He's like, he's a little bit Doc Brown from, from like, you know, uh, Back to the Future and like a little bit Freud because he was a psychologist. You know what I mean? Like he's really smart and just really kind, but also like kind of crazy. So his whole thing, I mean, he really is like the kind of final say on everything, but we don't have a master distiller here. You know, you always hear that term. There's always a master distiller at distillers. We don't have one. And the reason is, is because we all kind of have a hand in the creation of it. Now I will tell you, they don't let me distill for good reason. <laughs> they don't let me distill for good reason. I am a chemist. I've done it before. I've kind of worked with them before and it's super fun. But, you know, they were like watching over me the entire time. They're like, no, 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 you, uh, you poor moron. Don't put that there. You know, you're going you're gonna to blow us all up. So they watch over the entire time. But at the same time, you know, we, I do taste barrels. And there's like 20 or 30 of us on the sensory panel that taste through barrels. And it may be stuff that we're making already that we're kind of figuring out, okay, yeah, we need to grab this and put this in there to kind of create a consistent profile. What fits that high gold profile, right? It's going to make this bottle taste great out of this batch. Or maybe it's something we're working on. Maybe it's a new product. Maybe it's something that we're never going to make because we all got together on the sensory panel and we tasted what we made so far and we're like, "Eh, it's not for us. So we're not going to do it. So that's how important that sort of process is. And the I don't know. It's almost a lot of, some people think this is a drawback for us. We think this is amazing is that, you know, this bottle of high gold, like the one I'm drinking out of tonight, you know, the core flavors are always there. So it, it starts soft. It's lots of butterscotch, right? Lots of caramel, lots of vanilla. It has this sort of citrusy kind of orange peel sort of thing happening in the mid palate. And then it finishes with like this nice kind of comforting, warm brown spice and, and a little bit of pepper. And that's a really nice, well-balanced, kind of soft, easygoing bourbon. Sometimes those ratios will change a little bit from batch to batch. And that's okay with us because what that shows is that we're not just like machines sitting there being like this barrel from this quadrant of the rickhouse and from this layer and from this floor, and they're going to go together and they're going to give you the exact same bottle every single time. We're less focused on pure consistency than we are more focused on pure quality. That's, That's the important part, right? So batching, like I said, I can get into a rabbit hole about it, but batching can go a million different ways. It really can. So let me ask this question. Everybody's palate is different. Mm -hmm. How do, I know it's not a one day process, tasting, you know, tasting the barrels and and, and trying Mm -hmm. to determine which barrels should go with what. How long is that process before it's a, before someone says, or before you say, you know what? I've, I've tasted barrels in this section and tasted barrels in this section. I think we have a match. So not everybody's palate is the same. That's absolutely right. But I think that saying works better when you think about non-quantifiable stuff. So objective things as in, do I like this or do I not? Um, you know, I can give you all the exact same bottle, right? I gave you both high gold. You're going to taste it. One of you may like it. One of you may hate it, right? You may both like it, but you might both both like it for different reasons. You might both hate it for different reasons, right? That's where I think that every palate is different sort of plays into it. We're not tasting these being like, do we like it? Well, (laughs) we are. (laughs) We are, because I mean, who wouldn't, right? But at the same time, tasting shouldn't be a solitary thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's okay to like really get by yourself and be like, what do I really taste in this? But true sensory training, you should always train your senses with other people because not every, for instance, I I mean, I feel like I have a pretty darn good palate. And I say that with very little ego. I've just got a lot of training. It's really what it is. I got a ton of training. You know, I've been in this industry for a while now. I kind of understand it. Right. Um, I started out as a wine guy, like, you know, 15 years ago, like in the wine industry. So I, I understand that part of it and just had a lot of training. But when you hear like, and I'm going to say this term, it sounds bad. It's not really, um, but like earthy or musty things. Sometimes those are like desired qualities in certain spirits or certain beers or certain types of, you know, whiskey sorts of projects or cognacs, things like that. Right. You need that to kind of balance off other things. I, I can't smell or taste super earthy, musty. I just can't. 
I'm like nose blind to them and kind of palate blind to them a little bit. So what I have to rely on is when I'm in a group of people and they say, oh yeah, this has sort of that earthy thing. And then they'll kind of keep going. And the next part is crucial because they're not going to be like, this is, you know, why it's earthy. They're going to tell you why it reminds them of a certain thing, a certain sense memory that they have that turns it into like kind of earthy flavors. Uh, you know, like for example, when I smell cherry or taste cherry, my sense memory is like Dr. Pepper, right? Because right. Dr. Pepper is technically it's a cherry cola. And right. so that's where I get, like when I smell and taste cherry in like a bourbon or like a sample I'm pulling up, that's like the first thing because my head is like Dr. Pepper. And some of the people I do these sensory panels with, I'll just say Dr. Pepper. They know what I'm talking about. They know I'm mean cherry, but every once in a while, you know, you're, you got somebody that's like, this tastes like Dr. <laughs> Pepper to you. And I'm like, well, you know, it's like the, right. And so somebody might say something like, yeah, this is kind of like when you're um, building a table and you're like sawing down the, the lumber, you know, and you get this kind of earthy and I'm like, oh, that's earthy to them. And right. then I can kind of identify it in that product, right? So you kind of take all that together and that's how you really run through these batching things. And that's really why batching is only going to take you a few hours, as long as you can kind of get everybody to walk in, you know, for 15 minutes and just do their tastings real quick, mark down in their sheet and kind of talk about it with each other for a couple of minutes. You nail those down pretty quickly. So, so now do you sip and spit or do you sit, finish it off? Depends on what else I got going on that day. <laughs> uh, it also depends on what we're drinking, you know? I mean, you do proof some stuff down. Like if you're doing a lot of them, you proof them down a lot to like, seriously, like 20% alcohol. Um, because actually that's going to show more sometimes. I mean, you all can test it out. You know, if you add like a drop or two of water to this, you would imagine that it's going to get like milder, you know, and you're going to water it down. It's actually going to get spicier. You're going to sort of, Wow. You know, to use a weird sounding phrase, explode the congeners, right? You're going to create more flavonoids out of there and you're going to get more of like the pepper notes out of this. And it's kind of backwards to what you would expect, right? So that's what you do in the sensory lab. You kind of batch them down, batch them down. You, you gauge them down with water quite a bit and it helps you pick out sort of different flavors. Um, also, it helps you get through like 20 samples, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So we, what we do, and I don't know if you've heard uh, some of our episodes, we do a third glass. Mm -hmm. so our third glass, we'll, we'll, we'll pour it, right? We'll pour, you know, uh, uh, maybe a finger. We'll let it sit for, for five, 10 minutes. We'll, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll start our conversation and then we'll pour this out and we'll let it dry. If you sniff the dry glass and then sniff the wet glass, you get the undertones I mean, it, I get the undertones from the dry glass that I don't yeah. get from a wet glass. And I figured that out because the one day, I forget what I was doing. Um, I'm at my desk. Uh, it was late at night and I had finished my, my glass. I forget what I was drinking. And I was like, what is that smell? And I'm looking around. I thought my wife was, was, had a candle on and I go reach for my glass. And I was like, wow, it was coming from the glass. And yeah. you can really smell the undertones in the bourbon in that dry glass. Absolutely. That is something that you can't do with, I mean, you can do it a little bit with like beer and wine, but it's not nearly as enjoyable because <laughs> it, it gets kind of like uh, a little yeah. sour a little bit. Yeah, it's not great, right? With whiskey, you can absolutely do that. High proof spirits are amazing for that. Um, I'm going to like really break rank here for a Kentuckian. And I'm probably going to like get disowned, but <laughs> vodka is a really good one to do for that because vodka doesn't smell like anything, right? Doesn't really taste like anything. It does, right? And, and different vodkas have different flavors and they have right. different mouthfeels and stuff. But if you really want to know what's going on with different labels of vodka, do that. Let it, you know, pour it out, you know, or drink it or finish it and set the glass aside and come back to it like 10 minutes later and then smell it. And you're going to be so shocked at what you pick up because it's the same thing that water does, adding water to it. You're oxygenating it. Oxygen is like the great cleaner. It just, it, it, it has so many catalysts 
on chemicals, right? It changes so many things just by interacting with it that you can really pick out so many flavors you didn't realize were there. And then when you go back and pour that drink again later, you can find them. You've trained yourself. You've done sensory training when you do that. Oh, interesting. Amazing. Yeah, that is interesting. We're doing this backwards. We should have asked you, mm-hmm. how did they come about the name Rabbit Hole? Oh, yeah. So Kave, I kind of briefly mentioned earlier, he was a psychologist for a long time. So he was actually living in Chicago, um, working as a psychologist. He taught at a university up there and he had, a, he had a practice. He actually did that for about 22 years before he became a bourbon distiller, which is like not your normal route to being a bourbon distiller. No, psychologist, uh, a bourbon distiller. Yeah. He will tell you that like a psychoanalyst job is like never over though. It's every day he's doing some part of it. Um, but yeah, so he met a girl from Louisville named Heather that turned him into a bourbon drinker and then like drastically overshot the mark. And they moved down here to Louisville after they got married and he fell in love with Louisville and fell in love with bourbon because both those things go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, after a while, he decided he wanted to open a bourbon distillery. He wanted to make it full time because he was kind of doing it on the side, you know, a little privately. And, uh, and she told him, you know, this obsession of yours, Kave, it's going to lead the family down the rabbit hole and there's no going back. And so that's how he, he loved the name. He loved that phrase. And he said, that's a great name because it really is leading us down the rabbit hole. And in fact, if you come to the distillery, you'll notice our, our main hallway that you walk down, it, right past the huge rabbit hole logo, it says there's no going back all the way down the hallway. That, 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 just to take that leap of faith and say, I'm putting yeah. everything I got and I have something good here. I'm doing this because I mean, there's hundreds of, of different brands out there, mm-hmm. but that's, that's, that's amazing. And I mean, he does say a lot that, you know, there's many nights they were on their hands and knees, just like brand, you know, whoever <laughs> like make this work. And Heather's like, how do you know this is going to work? <laughs> like, I don't, let's just, it's got to keep going. You know, he's just, let's have, we gotta, we gotta know, we gotta believe in each other know that this is the right thing we're doing. I've, I've, you know, I've surrounded myself with good people that know what they're doing. I've got a vision that's, it's going to work. Right. And yeah, it did. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> Letting you do something you love. That's exactly. For sure. exactly. So is, is rabbit hole planning. Do they have something new coming out within the next year or so? What do they have in the pipeline? Absolutely. So all sorts of stuff coming at you. There's all sorts of stuff coming at you from us. So um, you know, we, every year now, so twice a year, actually, we actually release two, uh, limited bottles and the whole series is called the founders collection. So the first one came out in October and it was founders collection and it was boxer grail, this rye whiskey that we have, but it was a little older. It was around six years. It was some of the first barrels that Kave actually laid down when he first started making whiskey. Um, and it was only seven of those barrels total. So, you know, half of our normal batching size. Um, and then it was, it's cast strength. So it's about 114.2 proof. And it is, as they say, chef's kiss. It's that, unbelievable. It's so good. Well, it's awesome. You know what's crazy? It, it doesn't drink 114 though. Like it really doesn't. It is, it's so soft. That's it's the so problem. soft. What's that? Which one is that? The box grill. So boxer grill, it's the founders collection. Boxer grill. Yeah. And even the cast strength, I mean, it is just phenomenal. Um, we released another one. So we're going to be releasing two of those a year. Um, so one in the fall and one in the spring. The last one came out um, about a month and a half ago, two months ago. And that is founders collection Mizanara. So what that is, that was actually a 15-year-old bourbon that we finished for another year in what you call Mizanara oak. So it's Japanese oak casks. It's unlike anything else I've ever drank in my life. It's so unique. Um, it's great because first of all, it's 15 year old Kentucky bourbon, which is just phenomenal already. Um, and then that Mizanara Japanese oak, it adds such interesting flavors. It's like, there's this crazy like sandalwood and the dark fruits are really strong on it. And even like, uh, it's almost like this umami flavor. Like, you know what I mean? Like one of those things, it's hard to, it's like kind of earthy sort of in the back of the, the throat. Very, very hard to put your finger on. That it was really, really good. Um, and so our next one is coming up in September. We're releasing it at the beginning of September and it's a five grain. So we already have a four grain, that's Cave Hill. 
Cave Hill Kentucky Straight Bourbon. It is a four grain bourbon. We're releasing a five grain and it's what we're calling a double chocolate malt. So um, chocolate malting, whenever you hear like honey malt, chocolate malt, stuff like that, what they're doing is actually roasting the grains after they malt them and dry them, they're roasting them. And so those are levels of roast. So honey malt, like Cave Hill has a honey malted grain in it. And that honey malt is basically where they toast the grain down and it gets like a honey color and a honey nose and a honey flavor to it. Um, chocolate malting is where you just keep going. So you can go honey and then think like caramel, and, you know, chocolate and coffee and espresso malts it just keeps getting darker and darker and darker. There's actually two types of grains in there that are chocolate malted. There's a chocolate malted wheat and a chocolate malted barley in there as well as two different types of rye. So an un, uh, a malted rye, like the one we use here in High Gold from Germany, and then an unmalted rye that we use in Boxer Grill that is from Canada, that's all in there along with, you know, majority corn. So it's a five grain double chocolate malt bourbon. Um, I don't say this lightly, and I've said it in front of Cave, in front of Cave a couple of times. He's always like, that's really nice. It's, I think it's the greatest thing we've ever put out. It's, I can't wait for re-release it. It is unbelievable. It's coming out in September. I I can't wait to try and find a bottle because I'm not allowed to buy one at the distillery. <laughs> so I have to like go hunting for it. I have to like stand in line for it, but I'm like absolutely going to buy one of those bottles. It is it is absolutely phenomenal. It what, is so it, good. what does it go for, MSRP? Don't know yet. We, we actually haven't decided yet. So we literally just dumped those barrels on Friday. So we're still coming up with like the final bottle count what the final proof is going to be. Um, all of that works into cost. I mean, we can, you know, I think we kind of have our baseline just based off what it costs us to make it um, because, you know, malted grains are very expensive. They are, they're very expensive because it's an extra step that right. the, the grain producers yeah. having to take, right? So you're getting a little bit more expense on those grains. So we're using four malted grains in that match bill. So that's going to up the expense a little. Um, so we have like kind of our baseline where it's going to be I, I think i don't know um but we're really kind of waiting to see because i mean if it's you know we dumped these barrels and there weren't many of the barrels we dumped the barrels and we only have like i don't know uh, you know 150 bottles it's gonna be like a million dollars a bottle <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so we'll see we'll see what That's happens what did, what did the uh previous founders collection go for so the first one the boxer grill was around 200 bucks yeah. Um, the Mizanara, completely other end of the spectrum, that was fifteen hundred dollars a bottle. Okay, wow, that's yeah. what I thought. I, yeah, Boxer Grill, I saw for a while out there. Man, yeah. Boxer Grill was awesome. Was it? Yeah. yeah, it was great. I wish I had another bottle. I get, I actually get one bottle each of the Founders Collection when they come out, but it's really it's for me to like sample out when yeah. like people come to the distillery, so like a VIP or media or whatever, yeah. right? You know, the Boxer Grail, I held on to for like four months or something like that. I mean, it made it all the way into like, you know, end of February. And it was, I would get looks from people because I would pour it. My hand would be like shaking <laughs> and like three drops would come out. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> take it back. The Mizanara, the one I got, that one went in like a week. Um, wow. I'm not going to name the person here at the distillery that uh, may or may not own and started the distillery that drank most of my bottle because it was so good. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. I mean, it went to a good cause. We were drinking it with good people. And, but uh, that one went very quickly. I had that one, like, seriously, I think I got I had a fun one. Um, so we'll see when I get the Race King. Oh, that's the name of the five grand, by the way. It's called Race King. Um, kind of after that idea of, like, thoroughbreds, you know, Kentucky for thoroughbreds, right? Um, so who knows when I get that bottle, I'm going to try and keep it for as long as possible. That's awesome. Now you are a father to be. I am a father to be very soon. Congratulations. Very soon. So you will Thank be you very much. rad dad. <laughs> we'll see. You know, it's, you never know. I, I've, it, it kind of depends. I mean, you don't just get the, the, the moniker rad unless you actually are rad. So, right. I mean, you, you right. gotta work for it. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that I will be. I, I feel like to be a rad dad, you have to like be fun, right? You gotta be fun. You gotta be funny, and you have to embarrass the hell out of your kids. Yeah. So as long as I'm like hitting all those three. <laughs> well, yeah. Have you started working on your dad jokes? <laughs> oh yeah, no. My wife like bought me a dad joke book for Christmas. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She actually bought me one. And I, and I do, I mean, I will tell you, like, really, the jokes are strange, right? It's, it's kind of this weird thing I have to live on. Because I'm already, like, kind of, a, I mean, I already know I'm a like, funny guy. Like, I didn't land my wife off my looks, right? Like, I, I know I'm kind of a funny guy. But it's, I, I don't know, telling jokes in a distillery is, it's, it's both good and bad. Because the jokes usually end up being corny. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Corn, corn, because of bourbon, right? It's got to be majority corn. So, yeah, that's tough. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, no, we are we're so excited. So it's it's our first kid. We're having a daughter. Um, she's gonna be here in like twenty minutes. I don't know. It's like so close. <laughs> it's so close. It's I think it's like six weeks or something like that. Um, and I'm just you know we we got to see her today. We had a OBGYN appointment this morning so they did the ultrasound you know we're getting to that point now where we're going in every week for ultrasounds um it's just amazing what they can do now I mean doing this during COVID was um it was rough early on so you know we found out very early I mean we were we were trying and, uh, and, you know, we had to like take some special stuff. So we kind of knew like when it happened. And I mean, we knew like two weeks in, I actually knew before my wife, I actually <laughs> knew before I did, which I don't think a lot of guys can say, um, because so we're big outdoors people, we're, we're hikers, my wife, not so much now, she enters the forest, and she just falls over. She's very <laughs> unbalanced right now, obviously, her center of gravity is very, very different. Um, but so we're big outdoorsy people. And so you know, people that kind of, you know, are doing this sort of thing that we did where, you know, you have to take a special you know, drug, try and all that, you know, it's, they call it like the, the 14 days of hell or something. You have to wait like 10 or 14 days before you actually can start testing and knowing, right. And so we were like 10 days into that wait and we went hiking. And during this hike, two things happened. First, my wife complained about um, a certain part of her body up top that was just strangely tender and really hurt. And I was like, uh-huh. And uh, she also <laughs> peed tell. in the forest, like, I don't know, five times on like a mile and a half walk. It's so, <laughs> at the end of it, I was like, you know, honey, I think you're pregnant. She goes, oh, there's no way we could tell right now. And I'm just looking at her and she's like, still kind of like, Ugh. oh man, they hurt so bad. And I'm like, <laughs> you just peed in the forest like two times just now when we were talking like <laughs> I think you're pregnant right so we knew like pretty early on so we you know we started getting our ultrasounds very early so I think we had our first ultrasound at like eight weeks so we knew super super early right but I wasn't allowed in there I was not allowed into the doctor's office for an ultrasound until like 20 weeks oh and so God. I'm dying like right. I'm dying I'm out in the, the parking garage and like they don't let you take pictures or video or anything the only thing they'll allow is a very short FaceTime call or like a phone call so Kyla it's my wife would you know FaceTime me real quick to be like oh look and like turn it towards the screen and then have to turn it away real quick and I was like I think I saw I don't know I saw <laughs> I don't know what I saw I have no idea what I saw right <laughs> So my wife was really amazing on February 14th on Valentine's Day this year. Her gift to me was a surprise and she had found um, a private practice. And their whole thing was ultrasounds. That's what they did was ultrasounds. You could kind of buy these different packages. So on Valentine's Day on February 14th, we are 14 weeks along. And she takes me there and tells me what it is. And I'm like so excited. And so I go into this room and I sit down and first of all, it's like this black leather couch they sit me on. And I'm like, oh, I've seen this movie before. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's happening, right? And so I sit down, there's the big screen and they're kind of behind me. It was very strange. Like I wasn't allowed next to the table. So they're kind of behind me and, you know, they're greasing her up with the stuff on her, on her belly there. And, and then I see her, I see her like on the screen and it just, man, it just got me. I mean, it was uh, the first time, you know, you see the heart beating and, ah, man, it was awesome. Um, and then they made the terrible, terrible choice. I don't know why the tech did this to do a quick 3D version of a 14 wheel week old fetus. And I, you know, I was like, get it out of her. That's terrible. <laughs> like, it's a little alien. I mean, it was, you know, she was terrible looking. But now, I mean, we know what our daughter already looks like. I mean, she's not even born. And the only stuff we don't know is like the color of her hair, the color of her eyes are going to be. I could tell, like, I could tell she has my nose. 
You know, she's got my wife's forehead. Technology like her lips. is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible, man. It's I'll incredible. You, tell you a funny story with my firstborn um, and my wife's uh, uh, doctor. It wasn't the doctor she went to as a kid because he stopped delivering babies and he referred to us to this guy and this guy turned out to be amazing. Um, so we're going on and on and on about 3D imaging and ultrasound and, and pictures. And, and he goes, oh, he goes, um, if you come, this was, I think, like a Wednesday. He's like, if you come here Sunday, he goes, I can do it. I said, oh, wow, you, you can do it? He goes, yeah. I said, have you done it before? He goes, no. <laughs> he was all into it. He's like, yeah, that's great. It'll be my first time. I'm oh, not going to no. promise anything. <laughs> How'd it turn out? Uh, we didn't go to him. <laughs> he said, thanks, but no thanks. It, it was a new machine. It, you know, he wanted to try out all the bells and whistles on the new oh, machine. Man. <laughs> he said, He's like, wow, now I got a guinea pig. <laughs> oh man, yeah. The guy, yeah, the no, guy never mind. The guy's cool. I, I bring him uh, cigars and and a bourbon every time we go. Nice. Yeah, real Good cool. move. Yeah, yeah, real cool dude. I've thought about. Do you like? I'm I'm kind of like, do you, do you grease the doctors? <laughs> do I need to like tip the nurses? Like I don't know. I have no idea. You know what I mean? A real good <laughs> bottle of uh, rabbit hole. Yeah, no, I've got a never-ending supply. I mean, I will tell you, it's amazing, like, where this shows up in my life. You know, my father, um, I mean, you know, we were kind of talking about things to celebrate earlier. I haven't, like, said this publicly at all, so I'll say it on your all show. My father just beat pancreatic cancer, which is, like, amazing. That's amazing. That never happens. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Um, but the first time we met his oncologist, um, his oncologist talked to him for, like, I don't know. 15 minutes about like what our plan of attack was what we're gonna do and then seriously talk to me about bourbon and rabbit hole <laughs> for like i mean an hour and my dad who like doesn't drink my dad's never been a drinker he's just like uh-huh uh, <laughs> what is happening you know what i mean and so now like you know when he beat it you better believe i've walked into that guy's office like the bourbon god i'm just like slamming <laughs> bottles on his, his desk and like hey next time around like we know where to go to you know <laughs> that's amazing that's awesome that's great that is amazing but yes we are celebrating a lot of things this yeah season. that's true so is there anything else you want to tell us about this bottle anything about the aroma that you want to call out or the tasting yeah you know i really the thing about high gold that i think is interesting like if you're, you know, like when you're a real bourbon nerd, you kind of look for things like, you know, how much rye does it have? Is it a leader or things like that? And so when you see this much rye in it, you automatically think a high rye bourbon is going to be incredibly spicy. But something I think is really neat about high gold, it's, it's not, it's not super spicy. It, it really, it's like the Pinot Noir of our lineup. It is soft. It's kind of gentle. It even, it like, it does have spice at the end of it, but Considering the fact that this is 95 proof, I mean, that's not the highest proof ever, but it's not a low proof bourbon. Yeah. It's so easy to drink. It's so soft. It has such great balance to it. I just love that it starts kind of sweet and ends with that sort of warmness to it. I think it just balances so well. I've had high ride bourbons before where it's a punch in the nose. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. this, is, this is nowhere near the punch in the nose. Um, I agree. It, it's a, um, a sweet sip. And then, and then when, when it gets down to the chest area, it, it's kind of like the, it warms you up a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, um, I'm going to say it's an easy sipper. Yeah. I think it's shelf staple. Yeah, shelf staple, easy hey, sipper. There you go. I will say for a 50th episode, this is amazing. Yes. This is a great 5 for, for us. And, and we appreciate you being part of it. Anything else you want to call out for rabbit hole or for yourself? Any, any social media platforms? Hey, you know, I mean, you can find us at rabbit hole on Instagram. You can find us at rabbit hole distillery um, on Facebook, you know, visit our website at rabbit hole distillery.com. We just opened up the distillery to the public at, uh, last week. We That's were back awesome. open. We were closed since March 16th of last year. Um, so we were closed for a really long time. And so we just opened up last week. You can jump on there. You can book a tour. Um, come down and see us. Um, you can find me. I mean, I'm always, you know, around here. If you walk in the 
building and for a tour and like hey is adam around i'll probably like pop around a corner with like glass in my hand um <laughs> but you know you can always find me on the socials i'm i'm always posting on on the instagram and the facebook um for rabbit hole uh, you can even follow me on instagram if you want if you want to see some just more boring bourbon shots it's just at bourbon tuba because i'm a bourbon drinker and a tuba player so it's it's, it's <laughs> me in a nutshell um but yeah just come visit us you know this year come come check us out and uh yeah, this was this was awesome. Congratulations on the fiftieth, and you know, a couple other things. We're all celebrating here tonight, yes. and uh, this has been a real real blast, you all. Oh, it was it was a great episode. Thanks for coming on. Um, definitely going to look up Bourbon Tuba. Um, we and just, we, we just followed him. Okay, we nice. just look at that. <laughs> Rob's quick. <laughs> absolutely, one hundred percent. We are going to do a follow up episode with you. Actually. We are considering coming down to Louisville, October. You will have your daughter by then. Um, we may not leave. <laughs> <laughs> you may have new employees or assistants. <laughs> Definitely come down. Absolutely. I would love to see you all here. And we'll, we'll record on site. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be uh, awesome. Definitely. Because right. then he'd be a rad dad by then. He will be a rad dad by then. Maybe we'll bring Hopefully. him some merch. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I'm always down for some nice swag. All right, Adam. Thank you for joining us tonight. Yes, Adam. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, guys. Cheers. See you soon. Take care. Thanks. All right. And that is a wrap on the interview with brand ambassador of Rabbit Hole, Adam Edwards. What a great interview. Very informative on bourbon and how tastes are developed through the, the aging process and how the oak barrels are imperative to the process. So thank you and tune in next week for another episode of The Rad Dad Show. <laughs>